Hey, Swigs, I just realized I don't want a pickle. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. And we are coming to you. Hello and welcome to the Nokomoto Podcast. Coming to you from the Tiki here at Moto One Podcast New Network Studios recording suite. A, I am your host, Moto G Pete, and with me is your other host, Swiggy. Yo. I will just tell you real quick, we have received complaints about the Tiki music. Have we? I thought we've gotten... We only did it once, and I thought m- multiple people said they loved it. Well, I got re- I got complaints on my personal podcast email. Oh, I was told you? to kill it on the board. But oh well, you can't please everyone. You can't please everyone. I'm gonna let it go for a while. I'm a big fan. It's just gonna be nice and mild like this it's- for the whole episode. Maybe not the whole episode, <laughs> but you know, listen. I, th- th- I'm gonna treat this like the fucking miserable bastards that tell us not to swear. But you know, uh, <laughs> we can't please everyone, so we might as well please ourselves. They can kind of fuck off a little bit. Okay, what are we gonna do on this episode? This is gonna be kind of a shorter one. Hopefully, we'll see. Right? Well, it'll be as long as twelve beers last. So, um. We are going to do Best Worst Bike in the World this week. We've got some emails, and I might go through my sort of, like, next five bikes that I need to get and kind of announce my plans to try to make that happen. Mm -hmm. And then I would kind of like listeners to email in with their list of the next five bikes that they need to get. And then through the email section, we can kind of advise our listeners on their journey through that, right? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, this is a great time to talk about it. Apparently, the Fed is not going to raise interest rates anymore, and it may drop significantly in 2024. So now's the time to be putting your list together. Credit might get cheap again. Uh, That'd be nice. I'd really like to refinance on my house. Me too. I'm at like 7% right now. Yeah, my interest rate is kicking the shit out of yours, and mine is still ridiculously high. Well, historically compared to, because in the past I've had like interest rates, numbers at like 2.7% or 0%. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, Swigs, what do you say we just jump right into Best Worst Bike in the World this week? We can do that. All right, so Swigs, you have worst bike in the world this week. I do. And are you ready to reveal it? Um, yes. But I'm gonna need you to kill that music. That's actually like really throwing me off right now. Is it really? Yeah, I'm. It I'm. I think it's quite pleasant. But okay. All right. We can. Let's just let it fade out. All right, the music has left us. Okay, Damn, so it's you, almost like we timed that. I know. Or did you just fade it out? I just faded out okay. with the volume on the phone. <laughs> um, okay, so, uh, right, you have worst bike in the world this week. And I'm not, you know what, for once, I'm just, you've all been coached up, and this is our super quick Christmas episode, so I'm skipping the intro. Swigs. And the worst bike in the world this week is? Uh, the Vanda... Moto Chimp Lion V2. 
this sounds made up. Oh, okay. So we've got an uh, uh, a Moto Compacto competitor. I'm guessing, though, it's not really competitive at all. Well, there's a few things about it that are utterly ridiculous. And I think it's it's very emblematic of what is really the worst part of the kind of mini electric market. Um, so this is, this would technically be an e-bike if it had pedals. Right. But it doesn't. And not only that, but it's also going for an absurd price. So essentially this basically looks like uh it's basically like an xbox 350 power brick with wheels coming off of it uh it's let me see if i can find there's one stat it looks sort of not entirely unlike some sort of modern new interpretation of the old moto compo not the new moto compacto but a sort of electric version of the old Moto Compo is kind of somewhere between that and an old um, uh, CT70, like Honda CT70, the ones where they had the press steel frame with the the tank inside it, the frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's about that size, and I'm guessing it's slower. It is. So, you know, with a, with a Moto Compo... You know, that little 49cc two-stroke, that at least got you a couple horsepower. Uh, This is one horsepower. So we're looking at, like, 10 miles per hour? Well, no. Maybe 15, 10 to 15? Well, they say up to 30 miles an hour. Bullshit. Well, it it can do that because it's um, it's only a 750-watt motor, but it's a 750-watt motor... That was intended essentially for an e-bike. So it's ridiculously, um, it's a ridiculously high number of windings. So it'll get you there with no torque whatsoever. Right. So it'll take all day to accelerate to that. So it's not practically that fast in traffic. Yeah. But... Some other, I mean, if you just look at this thing, there's some important things to consider about how this is put together. For one thing, uh, very, very ambitiously, it's got a license plate holder on it. Yeah. Like, which, if I don't know what fucking loser is going to register this. After Terrible our news. subject last week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, I mean, I would, I would register it. I would make sure it's legally mine. I just wouldn't put a fucking plate on it. One, there's right. almost nowhere you're legally required to. Uh, but okay, yeah. But also, this has no front suspension on it whatsoever. This is can. I can't see it super well in the TV here, but it looks questionable as to whether it has rear suspension. Supposedly, that little 
uh, angled piece that folds up is spring-loaded, although I, I think it is mostly rigid. I think it bottoms out really, really quickly. Um, it claims to... It, I mean, it has folding handlebars, but I don't know why you need folding lockable handlebars because, like, like folding handlebars... Yeah, they don't fold into anything. They it, just lay down flat. Right. But also... This is from a company like based out of Singapore, and this is made absurdly cheaply. If anything, it's just a liability. I don't know why you would want that. Um, no, I understand what you would why you would want it if it was good, uh, but here it just seems terrifying. Um, it's a, basically a smaller battery than you have on most e-bikes uh and also you know you can get a moto compo if you're willing to pay usually something like you know i think they've, they've kind of gone up a bit they're generally like 3500 for a good condition one for like a moto for original like moto compo um this is 3700 dollars what no, I'm taking the old two-stroke Moto Compo over this every fucking day of the week. Yeah, and I, I I'm basically picking this because this is emblematic of. So, with with electric, there's so many cool things you can do. You can put the battery basically wherever you want. You can put the motor wherever you want. You can have a hub motor. You can have a mid-drive. You can go two-wheel drive if you want to. There's all sorts of really cool things you can do because everything's just moving electrons around. Controllers can go wherever you want. Batteries can go where you want. Motors, you got tons of options. But when you have... A lot when you have this much freedom in design, there's a lot of people who think they can get into the game. And if they can produce something really cool, that's great. It doesn't have to come from a major brand. But one of the big things that seems to always feed into the hype cycle is all these wacky, crazy designs. And it's cool to change things up and to break the rules. But if you're going to break the rules, you've got to know what the rules are first. You've got to have some idea of why things go together the way they do. Uh, like, can you imagine riding this with no front suspension at 30 miles an hour on these little eight inch wheels? Like, well, first of all, let's, let's, let's not kid ourselves. Let's stop living in a world where this goes 28 miles an hour because I can see right here that electric claims it can do 28 miles an hour, which means it might have a top speed of 19 miles an hour. Yeah, there is that. Um, no, I mean, you can get going like one horsepower. You can get going a lot faster than you think. Um, I'm not talking. No, no, no. I, I just, this is based on no science at all. This is just the general rule that whatever electric claims is usually is usually exaggerating by at least thirty percent. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Um, 
I could probably produce some sort of science, like some sort of study for what electric claims things can do versus what people claim they can do in the real world, right? Like, we need a fuelie for electric vehicle battery ranges. Um, I'm sure that already exists. Well, right. Yeah. And we need to compare those numbers. Yeah, we need to find out what Versus what Electrek claims. So we can get a, uh, some zero in on some sort of number uh, of about how often and the average that Electrek exaggerates claims for, for vehicles. Well, not only that, just what the manufacturers exaggerate because Electrek will just believe them blindly. Yeah, I mean, I... Whenever there's an electric bike out that claims a certain range, I always assume they're inflating the real world number by at least 30%. Right. So something that strikes me about this is for $37, how few features you get, right? Uh, this has a headlight, probably not a very good one and this has mirrors and i think that's it well you know what you know why well here's the thing it has usb charging as well and do you know why because this is a very very standard oh we're kind of more of a chinese company and we can't really win on um, on quality on any one front. But what we do have is the world's most insane supply chain of mass-produced parts bin nonsense. And so we can just throw a dozen ridiculous, like, last-generation features on a bike or on a product at you know you know for cents per per piece it's sort of like why when you go and you buy like the 50 watt inverter at o'reilly's like for for no reason at all it just has a little like slide out button led flashlight on it mm -hmm. like it's we're we're just going but, to expand the the features list with just pure garbage as much as we can. But but check it out. Does this have a brake light? It's unclear to me. Um. Does uh, does this have turn signals? Oh no. Right, I right there. That makes it pretty dangerous to ride this thing on the road. You'd have to find a an expand like a expand a picture of the rear to see if there's a brake light. But at this point, where we're like, hey, I don't know if we got a brake light here. I, we're talking bullshit on features, right? So yeah, the the handlebars fold up for unclear reason. It does, you know, I don't know how much it weighs, but it's probably a little too big and unwieldy to carry inside somewhere. So that looks like an orange running light on the back. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like there's you get an orange running light. Whoopee. Um so I I think the idea is 
someone would take this to ride it a couple miles to their office or something like that, right? This is a good sort of thing that you could ride to work and possibly park inside the building maybe. But you really can't because, you know, it's got dirty tires and shit. And, you know, when you bring it in, it's it's unclear how you're going to carry it or whatever. I mean, I guess you could just, like, walk with it and and take it to the elevator or whatever. But it's kind of bulky. And the Moto Compacto really nails that with it just turning into a large briefcase, like a suitcase. And it's very easy and logical how you're going to take that to your desk and store it and charge it there, too. Right? Yeah. Whereas... This doesn't really do that. This is just, okay, you take it to wherever you're going, and then it's just kind of a nuisance, right? Also, the Moto Compacto, I'm so impressed with because it has storage for your laptop and shit. And this just kind of has 1970s monkey folding handlebars for unclear why. Just a thing that makes it look like it's more compact and practical. Now, you might be able to put it in the trunk of your car, but it's... Uh, but even it then, looks like, just you... big enough to be kind of heavy and bulky for that to be a kind of bullshit option. Right, but even with a lot of those other things, like... You know, the worst part of this is thinking that somebody's going to go over 20 miles an hour on this when you know for a couple grand you can turn just any old bike into a you know a two horsepower e-bike with more range with a higher top speed that's more comfortable to ride uh and it takes you like two hours of work to swap out the wheel or to swap out the the cranks and put a mid-drive motor on it. Yeah, and you can put saddlebags on an e-bike and things. Yeah. And, you know, there is, there is two-wheel transportation that doesn't have suspension. That's Bikes have been getting away with that forever. But they also have, you know, 25-inch tires on them. You know, you can, or at least like 20 inch tires, you, you can't have these like eight inch wheels and no suspension. It doesn't really work unless the only thing you're going to do is go across like a smooth warehouse concrete floor and not turn at speed. It's just not a good idea, but, but it's, it's. It's sort of like, it's almost like a, like fake mobile phone game design. It's the, it's the sort of video, it's the sort of phone game you see in like YouTube commercials. Right. It's. Well, yeah. again, it's this thing of, hey, aren't electric motorcycles a pretty neat idea? And the truth is that there have been electric cars, bicycles, and motorcycles for well over 100 years. The only thing that has changed is brushless motors and cheaper batteries and lithium-ion. That's it. 
I, I mean, there's other things, but like for the most part, that's like 95% of what's changed in the last hundred years. Yes. Yeah. I mean, aside from, you know, aside from, uh, you know, three phase, uh, alternating currents, like brushless motors, you know, even like the most high performance bikes besides more sophisticated, like, um, power delivery and like sensing wheel slip and stuff, they could be essentially entirely analog. Like they don't, they yeah. don't actually, they don't actually have to be any more. So everyone thinks that they're high tech, but they don't have to be, they can actually be right. significantly less sophisticated than internal combustion engines from the last 30 years. Right. So because of that idea that it's sort of modern, supposedly green, although it's not, and it's like kind of cutting edge, people are somehow taking advantage of that to selling things like this to to people that don't know what they're looking at. Because it's like, oh, that's pretty neat and forward thinking, right? This is the sort of thing that appeals to an office manager that wants to install a slide. That, yeah. Or a treehouse or a jungle gym in the lobby of their startup. And it's like, you are completely misplacing your priorities and investments. That Nobody wants a fucking slide, okay? Nobody wants to have a nerf war in the middle of the day at your goddamn office and uh and and these electric scooters are just not as cool as you think or at least not for the reasons you think they're so cool now fortunately yeah. motorcycle people intuitively get this because this isn't for motorcycle people but it is taking up mental real estate in the market. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. There's a lot of these for sale in scooter dealerships and crap where I would much rather be seeing 175 and 250cc, you know, single four strokes that are a lot more useful and fit into people's lives better. Now, again, I applaud the Moto Compo for going so small, it actually accomplishes more than this. I think. There's way more room in my life for a sorry a moto compacto than this. I I absolutely get the moto compacto. I could go to the grocery store just down the road with it, and you know with the groceries I could if you know every time you need the go grocery store just for a couple things, just go with a backpack with your moto compacto makes so much sense. That last mile solution, so you can save from you know paying high prices at parking garage garages and bullshit like that. Um, you know what Eric was talking about last week, going from office to office, so he doesn't have to drive the car. His wife just drops him off, but he still has some mobility from there till the end of the workday. That's a marvelous some... solution. Well, the way that it folds up so slim, but it's like a big like blade like briefcase there must be something crazy you can do with the moto compacto like could you like strip out the bed of a pickup truck and kind of create like the star wars like drone carrier and just have like 14 of them just like hanging off a rack and just be able to deploy them at a moment's notice 
There must be like yeah yeah because yeah. the yeah the form factor is so good for for yeah because they lay flat so you can put things on top of them. It doesn't just completely dominate your trunk space. It yeah. So you know what it would also be like legitimately good for for a lot of people. It could even be like a replacement for a spare tire on your car. Yeah, because if you could just get if you can get the the tar the the car towed. And then still... Yeah, you could ride down the shoulder of the road to a gas station where you're not just on the side of the road, and then a friend could pick you up from there, so you don't have to wait around for for the tow truck guy. I like this. This should be, this should be like, it should be like the new, yeah. I think we'll see more of these vehicles along the lines of Honda's Moto Compacto, because I... It just makes sense, especially because they're selling it with the vehicles in Honda dealerships. Like, they're selling them in car dealerships, right? I, like, this thing, you can't sell this thing along with a pickup truck or whatever and be like, oh, it's got a little mini scooter that goes in the back. People just be like, why do I want this back there? You know, with Honda doing them in all white, I think, like, they should see if they sh- they can get one on the Artis- Artemis mission to go to the moon. Yeah, sure, whatever. But yeah, this is bullshit. It's overpriced. I think the performance is most likely exaggerated. It has bullshit for features. I mean, the when the Moto Compacto is blowing you away on features, it's time for a long look in the mirror, right? This doesn't appear to have a horn or a bell even like the Moto Compacto. This has, sure, it's got folding up handlebars. For what? I don't know. It's, it doesn't look, um, like I say, it's got no storage. There's not even the speedo as far as I can tell. There's no screen or dials or anything. Uh, in your research, did you find anything about like a phone app to give you any information on it? Uh, I didn't find any, I didn't find anything on that. No. Um, by the way, despite only having a 750 watt hour battery and, generally being a very small thing this thing still weighs a hundred pounds which right the moto compacto is 40 pounds like it's a very manageable weight to take into a building like do you want to walk around costco with one no but simply entering a building possibly going up a flight of stairs or um or getting into an elevator, then walking down a hallway, totally manageable. And I think the Moto Compacto, we I didn't ask Eric about this, but I think like the way it's built, it looks like you can sort of drag it on the back wheel, like airport luggage too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This you would just have to just take you just have to like ghost ride it down the hallway or whatever. And that might be that little bit extra where someone's like, hey, could you leave that outside? You know, or what if you, where you work, you don't have your own cubicle? Well, if you do have your own cubicle, this might not fit in the cubicle. Uh, Maybe that's why the handlebars fold down so you could try to get it under a desk. But then your feet are banging into it and shit. Uh, But what if you just work in a bullpen? If it's one of those trendy offices and... There's uh there's just like a big open desk area that everyone sits at, which isn't even as big as it could be because of the fucking slide that they installed. And then 
<laughs> and, and then there's just not room for this next to your desk. There's just well, not easy. room. You just you just hide it in the ball pit. Oh, there. Okay, yeah, yeah. It looks like it would park very well. Okay, yeah. If you've got a ball pit, buy one of these and park it in the fucking ball pit at your bullshit job, where instead of paying you, someone runs out for donuts and pizza every day, and they gave you a ball pit to play in because they think you're a fucking child. I think it's a good place to end this on. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> All right. You ready for best bike in the world this week? Yep. Okay. And the best bike in the world this week is, I can't remember the year that I focused on. I want to say like 2005 to 2008, Honda CBR 954 Fireblade. I've decided that if I ever get a Fireblade, or like a, a quote leader bike in line four. I think this is the one I want. Let's let's confirm that it is like the the o five o eight nine five four. I'm pretty sure this is the one that I want. So this thing's badass for a number of reasons. Of all the CBRs, this one especially there was a Nikki Hayden one in Repsol colors. Um, yeah, yeah, this is the one. So this is kind of the last Fireblade that was equivalent to the R1 and the Gixxer 1000. This is when all the all the inline 4 liter bikes were min-maxing like crazy and it really didn't matter which one you bought. They were all just stupid power. So I, I think this is like 156 horsepower, which doesn't sound like a huge amount for a leader bike now. But in 2005, uh, that was about as much as you got out of anything. And like I said, this was essentially identical torque and horsepower numbers to an R1, a Gixxer 1000. You know, so we're talking like... 70 something foot pounds of torque, kind of like low 70s, mid 70s on torque, and 150 something horsepower. And again, whether it was a Gixxer 1000, an R1, the, the Fireblade 954, they were all basically equivalent. So, this is the Fireblade where you hold your head high. This is when. Honda was probably its coolest. This is immediately following the era of like the RC 51 and things like that. And Honda had genuine street cred with this bike. And I don't, this might be the high watermark. You know, people talk about the 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 nine hundred RR being such a groundbreaking bike and whatever, but Honda really played that min max game as well as everybody else for a few years. And after this bike, I I think they kind of fell behind and were like, "This is silly. Why are we playing this numbers game? Do customers really care?" And it turned out for a few years, customers did really care. 
I I think this bike has one of the the most quintessential Speed Wars inline four leader bike crotch rocket uh, designs. The headlight I think is has aged so well. I love the big fat tail, but it's also really modern and racy and pointy. The 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 Nikki Hayden Repsol colors are the shit. It's you know, it's got a cool looking distinct swing arm. It's got the big ass brakes. It's got the big inverted forks. It's got it's got all the things that that you want your modern sport bike to have. But it's also got a just enough of that '90s kind of stuff in there as well. Uh, this this early 2000s sport bike look is a really good one, and uh, this is the golden age of sport bikes, really, or or the very end of the golden age of sport bikes. Well, this yeah, I, uh, this is really this is the the wonderful lap o- overlapped era of. Of kind of modern performance, but we still had the full fairings, and the bikes had gotten a lot more angular and a lot less kind of rounded off. But you know, we still had those full fairings instead of everything that's kind of stripped down nowadays. Um, and just such a great fucking time for graphics. It was, and and also, how about this? You know, Honda. This is a Honda that. Is a it's a fully uncompromised track bike. This is as uncomfortable as an R one. Yeah, you can see those controls are way up there. That mm. yeah, set way back rear set controls. You're just laying on top of this tank, right? This is back when everyone had the tank scratch protector because their zippers. I mean, they were just laying on top of the tanks everywhere they went. So you needed that that tank protector to to stop your zipper from rashing up your your airbox cover there. Um, this is yeah full perimeter frame. We've got some sort of engineered swing arm. We've got the great big painted rims. We've got the 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 big fat tail with the you know the the space to put your documentation and your wallet or whatever underneath the seat. But there's also that little cap to to take off so you you know you can have your 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 girlfriend right on the back this has got i just all the things right just everything that you'd be looking for you you would ride this bike proudly today not thinking that it's lacking anything a modern inline four has but yet somehow you get to hold your head higher on this than you would buying a brand new cbr 1000 rr which might have a few more horsepower than this, but not, but, well, not but that knowing that use. this, but yeah, none you can actually use, but you also know that this bike was as bad ass as it could possibly be in 2000 and whatever. Right. It's also a championship winner. Yeah. Yeah. I, this, this bike was legit competitive Ta- Like, like I said, uh, Yamaha, Suzuki, and Honda, and Kawasaki were just all... It just didn't matter which leader bike you bought in this era. They were all amazing. So it was just about which brand you were repping, really. 
Mm-hmm. And it was a really fun time. Everyone had like matching Honda leathers to to match their bike, right? And 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 all that kind of stuff. And and they'd get helmets in certain colors to match. Like I I don't see sport bike guys really matching their gear like they used to. And this mm-hmm. is very much a bike from that time. So in a way, I think this is uh, maybe not necessarily one of the greatest inline uh, sport bikes ever made, but perhaps uh, Hondas, because this is really the last time they were super competitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't a joke to take a CBR racing in these days. Now, as far as price goes on these on the used market, there's a weird thing happening with sports bikes from this era where people think they're worth a lot more than they are. And I see people trying to sell them with 40, 50,000 miles for like five, six, seven thousand $7,000. And they're like, I don't know. I, I think they're smoking something. It's, they're just not worth that much. I wouldn't pay that much for one. Uh, at 40,000 miles, I might consider like $2,800, right? These these things don't go around the earth more than a couple times before the engines explode, right? Yeah. A lot of people seem to think these are worth 7500 and more. That's... It's a little crazy. Um, well, I mean, what were they new in 2007, right? Like $9,000, $8,000? Yeah. That's, you can't uh, be asking 75% of what it was worth new 20 years later or 18 years later. That's that's not a thing you can do. Uh, Inflation yeah. be damned. That is not a thing you can do. The the cheapest I can find so far is four grand, which is absurd. And it probably doesn't have a title. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, the $7,000 one probably doesn't have a title. Yeah, and that's still with 20,000 miles on it. Oh. No, that's not... It's a cool bike, but... Yeah, the used market's ridiculous. But I'm talking about its unrecognized spot in history a- when as asp- the last time Honda But when yeah, but when you can get an Aspencade for like twenty five hundred max, that's a lot of money. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I concur. It's Oh, here's yeah. one for twenty five hundred. Okay. Uh forty thousand miles. I mean that's not crazy. That seems reasonable. But it's in a sea of like six and seven thousand dollar ones, and right. a lot of four thousand dollar ones. It is, uh... Maybe if we found one on Craigslist, it might be cheaper. But uh, that's. But again, is this? It's got a couple things going for it in that it's a Honda, and it's a proper inline four super super bike. Mm-hmm. And there's just not a lot of those anymore that aren't either collector's items, brand new, and not what you want to pay for one or whatever. But this is that sweet spot. 
of not recognized. So the price you can probably find one that's not a ridiculous price. It does have a spot in history as a non-embarrassing, in fact, bike you can own very proudly and rep the Honda brand, especially the Repsol thing, right? Mm-hmm. There's a like I said, a cool Nikki Hayden version. If you want to find something that's might be sort of collectible at one point, but I don't know. Uh yeah, I I just think overall if I if I was riding somewhere and someone pulled up on one of these, they'd get a big thumbs up from me. I'd be like, excellent choice. Yeah. There's gonna be parts still available all over the place. If you trash the fairings, uh, you know, shark skins or whoever is gonna make something that you can just paint and put on there yourself. There's probably a lot of Alibaba plastics for this. Um, yeah, you'll be able to get seats and pegs and brakes and rebuild kits for the suspension and handlebars and windshields and bulbs. You can probably still get the headlight plastics, all, all that stuff. It's not old enough that any of the parts are difficult to get. They're probably not especially expensive. And yeah, I bet there's still a lot of, you know, you may, it might be dicey on whether or not a dealership will work on it at this point. You're getting close to 20 years old, but you might still luck out with that. But if not, I don't think these are all that hard to work on. I think you just kind of remove the air box. These are fuel injected, right? So really when you buy one, what you're going to have to do is check the, um, the, 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 the valves do the, do the valve clearances. Obviously all your fluids and probably a fork rebuild. But the big thing on this is that just nobody fucking did the valve clearances on these things. Mm -hmm. And they were probably supposed to get them every like 8,000 miles. I'm guessing somewhere in there. Uh, but a valve clearance, like doing your own valve clearances really isn't that hard. It's a, you don't need a lift to do it, right? You don't need any real specialty tools. You just got to take the tank off and take the head off. And then it's really just going to be like doing the valves on your dirt bike. Honestly, after having worked on the dirt bikes, I would much rather check valve clearances than disassemble another four rack of carbs and trying to fiddle all the boots on and off. Yeah, you're right. Rather than deal with, with a carbureted inline four, you're right. I would much rather do, do the valve, do, do 16 valve clearances. Yes. It's not that hard. You buy it for like a hundred, but eighty to one hundred and twenty dollars. You buy a set of valve shims. You need a magnet, uh, a really good set of screwdrivers, and and a set of uh, metric sockets. I don't know if you need anything else to do that job. Oh, and shims, not shims, uh, feeler gauges. Yeah. 
Maybe a bottle of uh, mechanic assembly lube when you button it all back up. I always like to put that assembly lube on everything. But yeah, that's that's really it. And then, then just go ride the fuck out of it. I mean, this might also be a thing if, yeah, for these high mileage bikes, maybe they blow up because no one checks the fucking valve clearances. Because Maddie always talks about like how he got like 80,000 miles out of his 636 Ninja, you know, but he took like perfect maintenance and everything. And you probably can get 100,000 miles out of this motor if, if you do everything you're supposed to do to it. But by the time 45,000 miles runs runs by and who knows if the oil is even fucking changed, it's a bit of a dice roll. Anyway, yeah. I don't know. Any any last thoughts on this? Kind of in a way it's Honda's la besides the CBR like RRR or whatever, which is just unattainable on price. This is kind of Honda's last proper superbike, in my opinion. Yeah, well, even then, the RRR hasn't actually put up, for all the money they claim they put into it, hasn't actually put up that great results. In fact, yeah. it's been rather disappointing. Um, yeah, I mean, this. I mean, but this is just from a different era where people actually considered racing Hondas, so there was some actual tribal knowledge around how to set them up. In that regard, it's potentially more legitimate. Yeah, exactly. There, I mean, and it getting close to 25 years old, this will be qualifying for vintage racing really soon. That's ridiculous. I don't know. I want these fairings back. Let's do this again. Come on. I do too. This is a great looking bike. I don't care if they're more expensive. I don't care if they're actually not more aerodynamic and better for speed. I just want them back. They're cool. They are cool. If we can bring back the PT Cruiser as an aesthetic option, why can't we have these fairings? The PT Cruiser... A car people only bought because of its price point. Everyone that was stuck on a lot looking at a Dodge Neon, and then they're like, wait, for $800 more, I could have this PT Cruiser that's exactly the same car, and it's a Dodge Neon, so it's going to run forever, but I can like fold the seats down and put some shit in it. Okay, I'll deal with the fact that it's the ugliest car that's ever happened. Yeah, well, it's also... <laughs> well, yeah, and then it always got passed on. To... It was always, like, some old lady's car that then got passed on to... Yeah, her near-do-well nephew. Yeah, and it kind of replaced a lot of Saturn models as the kind of de facto presumed drug dealer's car. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Do we want to do emails first, or do we want to do, like, secret questions, or do we want to go through sort of my my list of, of not dream bikes, but my my must-own list of bikes? Uh, uh, let's do emails real quick, and then right. we'll, we'll go on. 
All right. So we got a follow-up email from Hank who said, uh, listen to the podcast. As far as Ben Spees, he also said, um, with the arrow and other tech, the top speed sometimes hits 360 kilometers per hour. He said that your brake markers have to be sooner and you can really get caught out drafting another rider coming into a turn. Uh, a safety thing for him. He said GP needs to get rid of the arrow and some of the bike, uh, the, some of the ride height stuff, and slow the bikes down a little. He said people don't care about uh, new lap records at a track; they want to see racing. Uh, two episodes, Swiggy had uh, two episodes ago. Swiggy had worse bike as the new Hayabusa. A lot was talked about sport touring. I'm not a fan of Suzuki uh, GSX 1000 GT, and to be truthful, I have not ridden. I have not written it. I just think they missed the boat on what touring riders want. Uh, give me a shaft drive or belt drive. Drop the drop the last gen Bandit 1250 uh, in there. Retuned for torque. Uh, not going to be uh, track day riding on your tour anyway. Thanks for saying my bike choices are fetishy, a point of pride for me. Excellent. Yeah. So I actually 100% agree. I think that... I don't know if I can 100% agree with this. Look, I, now that every other bike on the grid is a Ducati, if we want to give everybody a chance to catch up, what's better than a complete reset? Can we now just take away all the arrow and go down to 800 cc's well i think this uh next season next year's move to the new four-tiered concession system is a step in the right direction giving the the teams with the most concessions such an option with their arrow changes to catch up i think that's good uh, the one thing I'll give Ben Spees and our and our, what's our listener's name again? Hank. Hank. Um, Hank. The the one thing I'll concede to you is this absolutely awesome race in Valencia where Jorge Martin was going to get up to the front and really give Bagnaya a run for his money on the on the very last race of the season and kind of make it like even a, a last lap or last five laps nail biter for the entire season was all ruined by exactly this thing. The, and I can't tell you that I didn't see it happen at least five other times this season. People getting sort of sucked in from the arrow of the person in front of them and then blowing corners super wide. I mean, it it, it, it Which, was happening, I mean, and you can argue that that's a skill issue, but it I don't know it, it does seem kind of like I feel like the arrow's gotten so good it's almost like the rubber bandiness of Moto three from a few seasons ago. It's getting a little absurd at this point. I remember. Well, the arrow is also a trade off. Remember. For stability, for getting the the rear of the or the bike pressed down to the ground, you are sacrificing some all out speed. Uh, to a degree. I mean, I, I mean, like four years ago, 
we had an entire Formula One season's worth of passing in a single race. Like, that just became normal. And, I don't know, I, I feel like that was a lot more fun. It was also a place where we still had a bunch of aliens. And we don't really have that anymore. I feel like... I don't know, like 80-something percent, well, I think 12 races this year, maybe not 12, but at least more than half of the races this year were won by Martin or Bagnaya. I think Bagnaya won like seven and Martin won five, and that's for the Sunday races. So like 11 out of 18 races were won by those two. And then everyone else was just one-off winners. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's not, well, again, you say like, okay, we don't have aliens anymore. That's kind of a good thing, right? I mean, fucking Zarco won a race this year. Rins won a race this year on an LCR Honda. Um, uh, 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 did Antonio won a race this year? I, I mean, they did. But... There were some big surprises. I, the first half of the of the well, season was a bit like of a snooze fest, but the second half of the season was pretty good. Yeah, but we also had like nine race winners several years ago as well. That was just out of nowhere. That just like it never happened before. I think it was like 2002 or something. There were six winners and people thought that was a big deal. Didn't we have like maybe six or seven winners this year? Maybe there's like, something different we can do to kind of level the playing field and make it a bit more crazy. Maybe we just need to have like Shinko's as the tire sponsor. Like, you know what <laughs> would be a really great idea? If... Uh, this is this would just be ridiculous uh, if we if we <laughs> this would never happen but just go with me down this road what if MotoGP instead of being a total prototype class what if all the teams that are in it uh every year they put up bids and it was like okay this year it's going to be Ducati chassis and it's going to be like Yamaha's engine. And it's gonna, you know, like it's going to be like, you know, Honda's electronics package where like mm. every major manufacturer puts in a bid to have their. Th but the bike, everyone has to run essentially the same bike. That's just a weird amalgamation of all the OEM's technologies. I mean, that would be really fun. It would be because it fun. would just come down to one hundred percent rider skill again. I mean, they could also. I mean, at that point, we're not really far off like scrap heap challenge where scrap <laughs> <laughs> junk yeah, yeah junkyard, junkyard wars. wars yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> just everyone puts a whole bunch of loose parts into a lottery. And you just get a couple of wheels, you get a swing arm and a frame, and you just got to make it work on the weekend. That'd be uh, great, too, if the frames weren't even uh, lined up for the for the motor that was going to go in them. You just got a frame and an engine. It was like, how does this work? And it's like, weld on some tabs. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, I, I like the idea of going smaller. Um, I it's been kind of due for a while now. I feel like there should be a there should be kind of like a rough target so lap time. They tried this with the eight hundred cc bikes, and it wasn't really that great. I mean, it worked out well for Rossi, but. Uh, I think you can leave it as one liter bikes. If anything, you're just going to either put a top speed limiter on them so people focus more on cornering and accelerating, so, okay. acceleration so, yeah. so, ability. No, so or... the, problem, the problem with the 800s when they first had them was that the 800s were at the time significantly slower than the 500cc two-strokes. And because of that, um, because those engines just straight up weren't ready for the class at the time, um, the riders were just trying to get as much power as they could and hold as much speed as they could. And they were trying to hold too much speed through corners. And they got dangerous because of that. And then they said, all right, let's go up to one liter so that we can at least get close to the... Well, no, it started... It went from... There was like a year where you could run 500 two-strokes or one-liter fours. But... Um, and the and the, the, the concession... It, it, the same thing happened in dirt bikes, right? It was like you could have a 250 two-stroke or a 400 four-stroke, right? The idea of the four-strokes not going to make as much power. So they went from that. There were a couple years you could run both... But it actually turned out that the one liter four stroke in the end was just going to be faster. But then everyone went, holy shit, these bikes are ridiculous. Because they had like no electronics on them back then at the beginning mm -hmm. of the four stroke era. So they took it down to 800 cc's to try to control it. And then, yeah, like you said, it just it just wasn't working out well. So they went back to one liter. Um. I don't know if it's too fast. I don't know if it needs to be slowed down. If if there's an argument that the arrow is making it less fun, I don't think it's significantly making it less fun right now. Uh, maybe it'll get there. At a certain point, I could see the arrow becoming so ridiculous that, sure, take it off. Uh, another thing in... Ben Spee's and Hank's defense is IndyCar did this and IndyCar is one of very few racing series that's still around. Mm -hmm. IndyCar just froze the arrow. IndyCar never turned into Formula One with all the crazy fucking wings and shit on it. They're like, hey, whatever the wings were in 1987 or something, that's just what we're sticking with. Yeah, I mean, well, that's that's not a high bar. I mean, honestly, nowadays I would watch any random Formula One race from the '90s or early 2000s over a current race because I just have no investment in Formula One right now. I mean, I think the tech, I don't either. I think the tech is amazing, and if you went, if I was, if we're gonna do, a oh, I would love. I rather than watch a Formula One race, I would just like to hang out in the garage. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't stop me from doing that if I had the ability. But yeah, as far as watching a whole race, I can barely fucking stay awake for a Formula One race anymore. Oh my God. It's such yeah. a fucking parade. It's like watching four Macy's Day parades in a row. 
right? Yeah. Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Yeah, like it just goes on and on and on. Yeah. It's also so complicated and they have to do all the math for you with all of the the pitting that if you watched it without the commentary, it completely loses like 80% of its drama. Yeah. And, and you're waiting like 18 laps for someone to try to pass somebody else. And I I can't do it. MotoGP, I think you could still watch without the commentary and get most out of the race. Mm-hmm. I, and, you know, and I've heard people talking about going to see Formula One in person and they don't have the running commentary going and they're just watching these cars go around. And a lot of them are just like, why am I here? You know, this is another thing, too. A lot of people talk a lot of shit about NASCAR. I, You can kind of see what's happening in NASCAR most of the time. Well, yeah, one of the great things about NASCAR is, is it the most sophisticated racing ever? No. But I don't know. It's got its own thing to it. That once you understand what's going on, it's pretty fucking technical. Yeah, but it's also it's also an event that you can just go to and you can kind of just absorb it sort of like a um like a minor league hockey game. You can just kind of yeah. show up and watch it. IndyCar is the same way. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we need a big push for Americans to get back into IndyCar. It's affordable. It's it's similar. It's open wheel racing like Formula One. It's still pretty damn competitive. Uh, I mean, I know it's called IndyCar, but you know they do it all over the fucking country, right? You know, everyone was super disappointed by the Formula One race in Las Vegas. You know, they do a Detroit IndyCar street race, right? And it's fucking awesome. Or at least they, I don't know if they still do it, but they did for a long ass time. And if there was enough support, they would bring it back if they have killed it. But I think they still fucking do it because it's motorsport and it's Detroit. Right. Mm. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, <sighs> although, you know, having said all this about racing, that's great to watch and everything. Definitely, like, the greatest motorsport spectacle I've ever seen is the Goodwood Racing Revival. And, I mean, those are comically slow speeds by today's standards. So, you're right. You don't need a huge amount of speed for a compelling racing series. So, if taking away the arrow allowed more passing... I I can't say that I'm totally against it. I just don't know that it's as big a problem as you and Ben Spees are making it out to be. <laughs> no, I no, I would take it a step further and I would say that look, the bikes get faster and faster and the track stays the same. And the bikes this year a lot of tracks got a resurface and that was a lot to do with some of the speed records. 
I I feel like I feel like there should be I, I, I do feel like there like we shouldn't be getting a brand new track record every year at each track that gets revisited. I feel like there should be a targeted um there should be a targeted lap time and the regulation should change and they should just lower the displacement to kind of target it keeping that lap time based on development. I mean, do you want Moto 2 to go back to 600s or I could take it or leave it. Uh, and yeah, I mean, well, it doesn't matter. It only matters at the top level. You know what? Let's throw it a big curveball. Since no one's making inline fours or V four or V fours on the market anymore, let's just change it. Let's make them like one point six liter V twins. Just something sure, stupid. <laughs> if we're gonna have a reset, right? Or make them like six hundred V sixes or something, or should, flat six, whatever it is. Should we just have like a randomizer category, like a randomizer championship every year, where we just somebody just like we have a big ceremony and somebody just rolls two dice, and each side on one set of die on one of the die. There's just a number of cylinders, and on the other is, is a range of displacements. And that's just a whole category. I think we should just completely remove, because this will help Honda bounce back, right? Here, Here's what here's my bid, right? If you want to have a standard aero package like Moto2 does, I'm okay with that. But if you're going to get rid of the winglets, then the only you have to take it to its logical conclusion of... Everyone can either come up with their own arrow or it's a standard arrow package. Like pick a lane, right? Because they're both logical conclusions. Anything in between is kind of a half measure. So there's that. Mm. Second, I, think, I like the I idea you of do, you um... could have an engine. Like if you go down to like 800 cc's, it's like unlimited cylinders, right? If you want to make like a 14 <laughs> cylinder bike at 800 cc's, fucking go for it, right? At um at uh at 1 liter, you know, I think you get to something like, you know, three cylinders or whatever. And then uh what then you like once you bounce past like 1200 or something, you have to go back to like a two cylinder. Well, I mean well, here's here's the thing. I and think, then watch Honda go for like a two liter single cylinder. Well, I don't. <laughs> I, I don't think they should. I don't think they should just like. I don't think you should go to stock arrow or like a uh, uh, spec arrow. I think that's terrible because the biggest thing about this is the branding and the loyalty for each bike, and each bike needs to have its own character. I would say they should maybe do. Um, twice a year like at the beginning of the season and halfway through the season they should have wind tunnel testing and they should just say at x number of miles an hour of wind you're allowed this much maximum downforce on the front tire and then that's it wait swigs i have it i have the answer it's more technology it's more complicated but we can alleviate this problem. And we just might get a Moto Guzzi racing team. 
We're not doing DRS. No, well, no, it's not DRS. But what if there's adaptive arrow? And then once they pass something like, you know, 190 miles per hour, like on the straights, the arrow has to fold back in. So because it's only a problem right at the end, right? Okay, yeah. Well, actually, that makes a lot of sense because nobody crashes under the acceleration where they need the downforce because you're already out of the turn. Right, it's the deceleration. So what if they lose that arrow advantage at the end of the straight and they know it? That would actually work really well because then when you're drafting behind... Honda, hire us! Well, Yeah, that's going to work great because then when you're drafting behind somebody, you don't have the dirty air behind them either. Uh Uh-huh. Well, not at the very end, maybe in the middle of the yeah. straight, but yeah. And you know, it's it's a couple motors. It's some. Or don't even make it. Don't even make it a um, a uh, a speed that they're hitting. Make it so at a certain point, like when they pass it on the lap, their adaptive arrow gets like disabled, so it like folds back in. You know, and then once they get into sector two, they get it back or something. There's gonna be a lot of that's bullshit. a little DRSy, but it's, if you do but... that, there's gonna be all sorts of bullshit drama around like transponder but I love bullshit drama. It's gonna be like somebody's transponder didn't get picked up and their arrow didn't disengage. And I love uh, that. <laughs> uh, no, I like I like the uh, I like the idea. No, well, I like the I like that idea because, um. It cleans up the airstream at the place where it also makes sense to disable it because you're going to go faster when you don't need the downforce anymore. Wait, I've got an even better thing, right? It's not adaptive arrow. It's arrow that's manually controlled by the rider. And they're not allowed to use it on the back straight. And if they do, they get a penalty. Now, does it have to be mechanical, or is it a button, elect- like a, a motor with a button? It's going to be like a thumb control or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, okay. but the rider, it's a whole nother skill that the rider has to bring into play, <laughs> being able to use the arrow. I'm okay with it being computer controlled. But Yeah, um, this no. is really fun. Tell yeah, me this right. isn't a super fun idea. This is really fun, yeah. I would say I, I like it. Um I think I would still pair it with a displacement reduction, but I like it. I, I, okay, I'm I'm 100% on board with you with the d- displacement reduction if with displacement reduction we can allow more cylinders. Like Honda can get their V5 back. They should definitely do that. Well, especially because, like, how long until... S- un- you know... I bet under the current rules, if Honda was told they could get their 800 V5 back to race against the Ducati 1-liter V4s, they'd be like, let's fucking do it. Yeah. I bet there's some there's some poor bastard who has just been forced to, like, constantly revi- refine, like, a modern incarnation of that motor, and it's just locked in, like, Honda's equivalent of the Prince Vault. Right. <laughs> Never to see the light of day until the moment that it's allowed back in. For any listeners and MotoGP fans that haven't been into it for that long, that aren't familiar with the 800cc era, Google the Honda 
V5. It is fucking wild. And when we talk about Honda doing weird shit, this is in the top five. There's also a great YouTube video uh, by the channel called um, Driving for Answers, who goes okay. through all of the math and the geometry of why the V5 is this perfectly balanced motor. This is like the yeah. the this is the way that it works out, and it's super unintuitive, but it's absolutely genius. The way that they made a five-cylinder motor that's more balanced than a than a triple. Well, so a triple would be perfectly balanced, but it can't deal with that fact that it seems counterintuitive, but it's just a weird physics thing that the the cylinder is moving faster in its like bottom 30% of rotation and top. And the V5 helps with that. Yeah, it's the way, yeah, the V5 is the perfect balance of both primary and secondary. Um, secondary imbalance, that's what I was trying yeah. to think of. Right, right. Secondary imbalance is the fact that the piston doesn't rise and fall at the same rate all the time. You think every piston would just be moving at whatever the RPM of the engine is, but that's not true. It speeds up and slows down a little bit at the well, no, very no, no. at the very ends of its no, so, of its travel. No, so the, no, in a, in a triple, the primary balance is always perfect. Right, but secondary right. balance is just a problem no right. matter what. But it no, it's the it's the joints around the piston going backwards and forwards that's unbalanced but the v5 has this perfect geometry that balances all i don't of know that. that it's perfect my understanding was whatever your secondary imbalance well, no, problem is yeah. in an inline it's not, it's not in an perfect. inline three because the because the v5 is an inline three on one side but then it's got these other two cylinders on the other side so because of the way the cylinders are the timing works that basically your your secondary imbalance on a triple is cut in half because you've got these other two cylinders on the back helping to balance out. Yeah, but it's also with like the firing order and everything. Like the math is at like when you look at it, you're like, how the fuck did somebody figure this out? I know. Like, it's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, I'm trying to think of like a, a concept in like computer programming that that's that brilliant. It's gonna be very relatable. Yeah, I know. I, but like just one of those things that that like once you like some things are so obvious, it's hard to imagine how someone didn't think of it earlier, like Newtonian physics, right? Newtonian physics, you're like, oh, it just seems so self-evident. But those things are just so fucking hard to come up with. Like something that seems so plain on its face are some of the things that it took humanity the longest to come up with. And But there are also some ideas that are just so fucking complicated that There's you're like, just like, who okay. Who the fuck came up with this? What right. psychopath? Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> I, uh-huh. I mean... In I don't know, in front end design, it was probably like flex. In back end design, it would have been something like async. You know, it's just like who who woke up one day and was like, "I can make this work." Yeah, it's it seems so obvious now, but you know, 
Yeah. At the same time, Honda was also just like, oh, are you going to make a street version of this? Like, no. I don't know. Maybe, maybe like SSH or something. Someone was like, I've got it. And it's like, what? Um, no, you know, we're losing people here. Gonna, really? No, here's what it is. Here's what it is. Um, uh, uh, recursion, right? Recursion is not at all straightforward, and neither is the V5. There we go. Anyway, that's a bit closer. Okay. Okay, yeah. let's keep moving on. What we need, we've only gotten through one email. <laughs> <We need laughs> right, right, right. More. Okay, okay. We're back on it. Uh, Erickson's email. Uh, this is a different Eric. Said he says, um, is this Eric with a K? No. Uh, oh, this is a, a third Eric. This is a okay. Eric. We've got a lot of Eric's. Well, there's Eric with a K is like Eric Nielsen or something. And then this is other. Okay. Yeah. And he says, uh, I've done enough 500 mile days to know I'm not an iron butt guy, but I'm all for meeting y'all when you get to Salt Lake City and joining for a bit. All right. So this is Eric that told us about riding around the lake and everything. Mm-hmm. Um. So. I already responded to him on Patreon, but just to reiterate it to everyone for the big stupid ride. Um, here's the deal. The, again, I got to reiterate this for anyone that didn't make it to the end of the last episode. Just pledge how many miles you're going to do. I'd like it to be more than 400, but it, it can be whatever you want. Just enough that you think it's going to push you and then try to do it within the hours that we're riding. We're Swigs and I are going to go for, for 1000, but if someone thinks they can do 1500, it's possible. And I've been able to ride at that pace for 24 hours. I just, you know, broke down for four hours, so I couldn't do the full 1500, but it is, I mean, if you're on pace, you can stop for a four hour nap and still make 1200 miles. Like it's, you know. Um, not, not your first time. The first time you manage a thousand miles, it's going to take you nearly all that 24 hours and it's going to nearly break you. But if you're just like, hey, I I was going to try to do a thousand, but I made 800. That's totally fine. We just want to get everyone out there at once going for a ride that's going to stretch them. Right. So, Eric, uh I don't know. Maybe if like the night before or something, depending on where we decide we're going to get to, maybe you could get 500 miles and like get into Colorado or something or get into northern Wyoming and then kind of meet up with us as we're going by cuz we're going to be on that on that uh open channel on the um on the Discord so you can know exactly where we are. You can be on the Discord and be like, "Oh shit, they're like they're they're going to be here in like 20 miles. Let me get on the road." And then, you know, you can kind of slow down and till we till we come up to you, right? And you can kind of sink along with us and just ride back home, right? If you want to get 400 miles, you know, if you want to get if you want to ride to like if you think you can ride to Cheyenne and then just ride from Cheyenne with us back home, right? That's a that's a totally doable thing. There's a lot of different ways this can work. Maybe you want to meet well, us at Cheyenne a gas station. Back from Salt Lake City is like 800 miles, but what? Well, no, I'm saying yeah. like go the night before, like Friday. Oh, oh yeah. Like leave at you know two in the afternoon, 
and just get to Cheyenne, right? Stay in a motel and then wake up and and then meet us and then ride ride back home or something. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, meet us in like Grand Junction and we'll ride through Utah, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I could think of much worse things than going from Salt Lake City to Grand Junction and back. That's that's a pretty nice ride. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways this can work out. So mm-hmm. so just because you're not an iron butt guy, like don't don't lose faith. And if you've done enough 500 mile days, it sounds like 500 miles is within your grasp. Uh, you know, if you did uh, uh, like two 400 mile days back to back, like I feel like you could, you're, you're 300 mile days, right? 300 miles from Salt Lake City will get you like past, you might get to past Grand Junction. You'll at least get to Fruta, right? <laughs> or Rifle. Mm-hmm. This is doable. Stay yep. in touch. We've got plenty of time. We've got like, what, eight months from now, right? Around there, yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Next, next, next email. email. Uh, this is a great one because we get to explain some of the insanity of the archaic U.S. system here. Uh, this is from Dean, and he says, After the latest Best Worst Bike, I need some clarification." I don't think I'm the only one in Canada who does not quite get the title for a bike thing. We don't really have that up here. If we buy a bike, we just get a bit of a bill of sale, even if it's on a scrap of paper, and go register it as a new owner and get a set of plates. Maybe a quick explanation on it. Keep with the good work and do what you will to the dragon. So, Dean. Essentially... Here in the United States, we have a system of verifying ownership for vehicles that basically dates back to the times of the horse and wagon uh, and is the equivalent of essentially bearer bonds, where a piece of paper is worth lots of money. And the piece of paper is the only record of the existence of that money. And that's, we just kind of roll with it. We also do it in a federated Some system of 50 to states. more extent than others. Like Colorado doesn't, like, like, for example, if you have a vehicle without a title in Ohio, it's completely fucking worthless. In Colorado, there is a system for kind of getting something retitled where the title and records were completely lost, but it's still a huge pain in the dick. And there's right. no guarantee that you so won't me... go for to jail for trying to register something that popped up stolen 10 years ago. Let me just spew a continuous train of thought on this uh, for a bit. So, you know, in Canada, you do have, you know, your 10 provinces, but, Essentially, you are still kind of just one whole country that's fairly well coordinated. There are things that are done province by province, but you've you've got pretty much one continuous country. Well, you just scored a lot of points knowing that they're provinces, not states, mm. right? There. 
in America. Do you think we could name all the provinces right now? Uh, so there's what? Alberta, Ontario, Calgary, Quebec, the Yukon. Uh, okay, so I got Atlantic. I got the Maritimes on lock here. So we got PEI, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, Newfoundland, and Labrador. That's 10. Uh, Yeah, I think we nailed it. All right, awesome. That's an education we got right there. All right. <laughs> uh, okay, so in America, we have much closer... Like, America, everyone thinks of the USA as one country, but America is more like the eu states have a lot more uh, autonomy than most people would think when they think of them more like counties or regions within a country and because of that we have 50 hold different... on wait, 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 did you say saskatchewan oh no we didn't we, okay it's we 11 on. it's 11 with saskatchewan 11? okay okay yeah uh we probably got one wrong but well i thought there were 10 I thought it was 11. Because, again, oh. this guy, Anyway, whatever. It, it doesn't matter. Review the tape. We got a lot closer than most people would. That's true. All right. Okay. So, in America, we really do have something that's reasonably close to, like, 50 individual countries on a lot of different things. And one of those things is vehicle ownership and registration. And so we've got... Every state has their own different version of a fancy piece of paper with all sorts of fancy patterns that's almost like its own currency. Yeah, I forget about that all the time. When you take a vehicle to another state, you have to change your title and get it transferred into a title from that state. Yeah. Yeah. They're all there's fifty different special pieces of paper. Right. Now, in a sane world, you go from one state to another state and you think, well, surely they can just like, you know, connect to a database and pull up a registration of that vehicle <sighs> and then just immediately transfer it. No. In America, we all have very fancy pieces of paper that declare who the owner of that vehicle is, and even though that it is still all electronic within that state who owns that vehicle, the states do not talk to each other unless a crime has been committed to determine who owns what vehicle, what vehicle has been transferred to whom, and when you... Yeah, if you're a convicted <laughs> felon, it's a coin toss, like when you get pulled over or arrested, if that county or city or state is linked at all to any kind of national database of felons or sex offenders or bank robbers or whatever. Yeah, in most states, you still, when you get pulled over by the cops and they ask for your license, insurance, and registration, you still just have to show them a piece of paper that says you have insurance on it. Well, now you can show them a screenshot on your phone, but yeah. In Colorado, not in every state. That's true, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you may think it's very simple that we could have a national database that links all license plates to titles, like to car owner, to driver's licenses, to insurance. No, the cops will still just ask you, 
to hand them a piece of paper that says that you have insurance. And that's just kind of how we roll in the U.S. It's not great. Yeah. In I fact, it's I a feel fucking nightmare. This is but... something like this is a sort of government project that we could get Google and Microsoft or Sun or whoever else to put bids on. And Sun I feel... doesn't exist anymore. Oh, that's right. Um, and whatever. It for a while. I know, but like I'm just trying to think of like big tech company, you know. Like uh, anyway, like there, yeah. there, there's a there's a list of players that for a government contract we could get to, you know, like I if know. I could never step into a DMV ever again, that's that's worth hundreds of dollars a year to me. To be fair, Colorado has done a pretty good job of alleviating like eighty percent of that. I don't know. It's it's still ridiculous. Like the way it is in Colorado, you only need to go in like every three years now. You don't have to go in to renew your driver's license. No, they make me go in every two years with my truck just to show them the bullshit air care Colorado emissions certificate which is uh how often you go in may have to do with how old your vehicle is i don't think i have to go in more than every three years for the fiesta i have to go in in like the next month for the fiesta but yeah well no 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 still no no i no 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 i just have to go and now i can give them the number from the emissions test and still get my tags in the mail i don't have to you don't have to go in anymore for that they give you a number now at the emissions and you can do it all online and get your tags in the mail hmm. i think you only really have to go in now when you're buying a new vehicle or if you've lost a title and need a document replaced i think you have to go in for that hmm. okay. it's it's a lot better than it used to be the new thing that's really fucking sucks and fortunately most people don't have to do this but if you have to go into a phone store god help you i the uh, uh these days, a Verizon store is so much worse than the BMV ever fucking was, or DMV, whatever they call it in your state. I will say my favorite experience in the phone store was at the uh, T-Mobile the store when I got my phone replaced, and I had to get them to activate the new one because I got it replaced with the insurance, and I had to watch a store manager... Uh, essentially do a um, I'm, oh what, what's the term had to do a uh, an exorcism no like a, a, a what's it called like a social hack to basically there was a person in a call center in India that they were talking to that they were trying to actually get them to unlock my account and to put this new phone on my account and their little script said they wouldn't allow them to. So they had to do some uh, social engineering. Oh, okay. Yeah, you had to do some social engineering to get them to add the phone to my account and to unlock, to get to basically unlock the SIM and get it all set up. That was great. Um, anyway. Anyway. 
Yeah. Uh, I feel like we got to move on to the next email. We do. You know, I since we're talking about phones and telecommunications, I promised my business partner I would do this. Nothing will probably come of this. But because we have this large listener base, I feel like at some point I should do this. So I'm just going to right now. If you are a, a decision maker at your business and you have a need for mass emailing and texting, send me a message because that is what my new company specializes in, McLuhan Digital. And if you're really smart, you are going to love that name reference. Um, yeah. Anyway, moving on, Swigs. Next email. All right. This is another one. Uh, about titles this is from john and he says uh hard caveat on the bikes of titles pretty sure no kid's dirt bike in existence has a title good fucking luck getting a used small dirt bike with a title it's like the original owners burned the titles as soon as they came in the mail or maybe they hoarded them in hopes of pulling off some scam in the future so most dedicated dirt bikes actually do not have titles. Yeah, you That's can get one for them, but no one bothers to. Yeah, I know in color. So yeah, they, so dirt bikes generally like dedicated true dirt bikes do not come with titles. Um, Enduro bikes will bikes that come originally equipped with brakes, turn signal, brake lights, turn signals, all that shit. Yeah. Absolutely come with titles. But well, you said enduro, but I think you meant dual sport. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. So th there are dual sport bikes that do come with titles. M the vast majority of dirt bikes do not come with titles. I know in Colorado, especially if you're talking about like, um, like the, uh, but, 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 but they still do come with paperwork to prove that you own it, that yes. you can register with the BMV, even though it's not a title, it's because it's an off highway vehicle. But they still come with OHV registration paperwork so you could register it and prove that you fucking own it. Yeah, there's there's a very fancy document. It's a three-liter acronym. It's M something A. There are sorry, MSO. Lots of non-title vehicles do come with MSOs, which is essentially a very, very fancy like manufacturer bill of sale. Um, but also, um, I know in it's Colorado, paperwork that you can use to a to apply for a title. Yeah, and I know in Colorado, there's if you get it fully set up, you can get essentially if you get it fully legal and do have a um, a an actual police officer inspect it, a state police officer inspect it, you can get what is essentially a salvage title for what was originally an off-road vehicle to then be able to legally insure it and ride it on the road. In Colorado, you can actually get a non-salvage title for an OHV vehicle or even a vehicle that's just so far out of registration that it wasn't in the system. Yes. But it's a pain in the dick. Well, it kind of comes with like a temporary title for a long time, and then you've got to put like... Um, You've got to put up um, so four hundred dollars or something. You've got to put up a certain amount of money that basically, if the original owner then tries to claim it, they can either have the bike or the money. There's this whole like collateral thing they do. Um, 
the American system is so insane. It really is. Yeah, like, like you said, we could just handle this the same way we handle who owns an iPhone and just call it a fucking day. Yeah. I like yeah, I mean every time you bring any kind of out of state vehicle or some any kind of weird situation, the odds of it getting registered are basically the person who's in charge of title work at your local DMV. What kind of mood are they in that day? Yeah, it's, that's really it's, what it. It's fucking on. crazy. Right. Okay, next email. Next mail. Um. Uh. Okay, this is uh an e. This is a video that we're going to watch at some point. It's from a lamb. It's from a Lambretta that's been electrified, which. I feel like that makes it not a Lambretta. I'm sorry. Look, yeah. if you want to have an e-scooter that you made out of the body of some old Vespa or Lambretta that just has a fucking shot motor, that's fine and that's cool, but it's no longer a Vespa or a Lambretta. And uh, come at me. It's still cool. It's just not a Lambretta or Vespa anymore. It's something else that's still cool but just looks like an old Vespa or Lambretta. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's go on to the next email. This is from Josh who says, Hey, Pete and Swiggy. Pete, thanks for the rant on no title bikes. Killing me as well when I'm just looking for fun and see a 1500 to 2500 bike that, while isn't the prettiest, does look running and once I click on the ad it says no title. Swiggy, if Pete didn't show you my oh, <laughs> if Pete didn't show you my dumb AI art where he talked about being the patron saint of VMD, oh that check was it out good here. stuff. Those are great. I did see those. I need to They're work fantastic. that in some of the episode artwork. Those were pretty good. These are no. Oh. This is. I mean, I, th- I think these some of these are sticky sticker worthy. I think they are. They would make really good stickers. He obviously did this with, I don't know what AI service, but one you have to pay for. Like, this is not Mm -hmm. the shit that you get from, like, the free ones that take, like, four minutes to generate and kind of give you sloppy shit. This this is like an AI art generator that you have to pay, like, $10 a month for. I don't know. I see... uh... I see an incorrect number of fingers on a lot of these. That's a that's still a yeah, tough thing. Yeah. I know there are AI generators that do better with fingers now, but no, they uh, look okay. We're we're gonna move on because this is gonna turn into like a three hour discussion of all of my thoughts on AI. Oh, I have don't. very strong thoughts on AI and how it doesn't actually exist and it's an abused term and people don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Mm. Well, it's more complicated than that. But again, this is gonna it's gonna be way too long. Okay. Let's keep this moving. This is gonna be a short episode. Um We're almost at an hour and forty minutes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, so this is from Eric, who was on the show last time, and he has he says he has an update here. He says, uh, after two weeks, I have a report. The good. Or I should say this email is, t- is uh, titled Moto Compo- 
update or Moto Compacto. Yeah. I put Moto Compo in the in the. This is not a new Moto Compo. That Honda claims this to be a different thing. It's the Moto Compacto, but yeah, it's still definitely the spiritual successor to the Moto Compo. Yes, and he says, after two weeks, I have a report. The good. When open, I can fit a laptop bag with a laptop, two notebooks, a char- and a charger strategically placed, and my coffee thermos. And the coffee thermos? That's fucking huge. I only, at this point, do Harley-Davidson's with weird shit you clip onto the handlebars have the ability to move coffee. Yeah. I mean, if it can fit that, think how you, know, you could just... You know, at uh, now that I'm thinking about it, at AMA Vintage Days, you could just get a whole Camelback in there full of liquor. Well, that's good. That's good stuff. So, I mean, those small wheels in the gravel are going to make this unusable <laughs> in mid-Ohio. There's, no, there's no mass, though. It's fine. Uh, I don't know. Just stand on the pegs. You'll be okay. Look, look. It's the fine. suspension on the gyro was, like not quite up to the gravel at mid-Ohio. Like, it's a bumpy ride on the gyro. And that it's actually fine. has a monoshock. Ah, whatever. It's fine. Okay. All right. And he says, I wrote it into the office to nothing but laughter, and when my boss came to talk to me about it, he just said he used to live in Japan and knew a lot about the Honda City. Whoa! What a win! Okay, yeah. So you just have free license to ride it into the elevator and up and down the hallway, or what? I don't know if you have so to I, go I up think an elevator. This is but another. Yeah, this is this amazing. Is, this is another factor about the Moto Compacto, is that it is the most inoffensive thing that you can possibly ride. That you can just ride it everywhere. I bet you could just. I bet if you just wore, like, I bet if you just wore a blue polo shirt. You could just ride it straight through the doors of a Best Buy and ride it around the entire store, and no one would stop you. Oh, 100%. If I owned one and I rode it to the bank, right? Like there's that uh, Wells Fargo up the road. I don't even bank at Wells Fargo. (laughs) If I just (laughs) rode up there, I would ride it through like the automatic doors and just wait in line for the teller for you know however long it took to get to the line because it's like the slowest fucking bank line in the history of anything i uh, the amount of time like you know other restaurant managers or ex restaurant managers will really feel my pain here of the daily deposit right now fortunately again i own my own company now and i'm self employed but uh in a past life uh i would have like ridden that through the doors and you know, had my little like leather bank envelope in my hand, and every time like someone, you know, was finished in line, and you move forward like three feet, I just pull the throttle and just inch up several more feet. I would just stay seated on the Moto Compo or Compacto the entire time until I got to the front. There's a decent chance you get away with it, yeah. There's a 100% chance I'd get away with <laughs> All right. it. Second half of the email, he says, The bad. It won't charge when I'm riding. 
My portable charger oh. doesn't char. Uh, my portable charger does charge it no problem, but there is a software block that keeps the throttle off when it's charging. My guess is that they didn't think of us alphas trying to hypermile, but the betas that would hit the throttle on accident and rip the socket out of the wall. You know, I feel like this is something we need uh, Phil from Cleveland Moto to get on the case of. We need to we need to get into some hacker spaces. We need to figure out how we can solve this. What's the mod? I that think we, we can. Could, do? Yeah, I think we can patch this, Swigs. We, 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 <laughs> I think we can. <laughs> how how do we how do we fix this problem? I mean, I. I well, let's think about that. What do we need? Um, I mean, without taking one apart, I don't know how we can get access to the firmware. Well, the question but, is, it's, is it software or is it hardware? Is it firmware that is controlling it that can just be flashed and fix it? Or is it like a hardware interlock? With No, there's got to be a battery management system. And if there is a battery management system, then it is physically possible to charge it while you're using it. This has to be a software block or firmware block. I hope so. If it is, if it's a firmware block, it's a pain in the dick, but you can get around it. So, uh, I, I mean, I am so fucking busy just fucking coding all day, every day right now. But if someone finds a copy of the Moto Compacto firmware and sends it to me, like we'll get on the case. And we will find a way around this because it's probably not complicated. There's just going to be like an FL statement somewhere that we can just modify. Well, uh, it's, it's going to be more set. Well, th this is too complicated. To, there's going to be some it. sort so, of there conditional is... that's blocking this is my point. And I think there's a way to flash and put something back. Now, if you're Moto Compo or Compacto ever has to get an over-the-air update again, then you'll have to then you're fucked and do it all over again. But is Honda going to be doing over-the-air updates on the Moto Compacto? Pfft, they shouldn't. It's a $1,000 e-bike with no pedal. It doesn't have I know, but we've heard some dumb stories. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I'd have to look into it. But I would bet it's not that complicated. There may be some places you need to solder onto the board to bypass. Uh, oh, some make some jumps, maybe. Um, if it's at a hardware level, then okay, sure, you might have to make a jump. I wouldn't kind of. Well, so Swigs, explain to people the the whole idea of like like charging as you go because it's really there's two things. It can be a fact that it's not physically possible because of how the system is set up, which is usually them using like 1990s battery technology. Or... Oh, no, it's not that. No, it's not that at all. No, uh, no, no. So if you're putting in the same power that the battery is drawing out, it doesn't even matter. As long as it's all on the same rails, then the power just doesn't go into the battery. It just goes straight into the motor. No, this is... There's lots of ways they can have it set up. Um, it's just a question of, is there software 
and solenoids that are setting up how the power can move through, or I mean, it could just be CMOS. The way that the power is moving through the battery and through the the BMS, the battery management system. Right. And it's just a question of, did they set this up for safety and just say, oh, well, it's charging, and who, what fucking weirdo would be charging this and moving at the same time because they only thought about charging in the wall or did, for safety features? Or is it a hardware thing where... There's like double throw solenoids that once there's power going into the battery, it just disconnects from the drive motor. It, right. But the way nice. that these charge ports and everything is built now, they would have to go out of their way on a hardware level to make it so you couldn't charge it as you used it with the BMS and everything. Oh yeah. It's no. likely it's I think it's overwhelmingly likely that it's a firmware thing. Oh yeah. Well yeah, it's it's, it's the same way that um it would be fucking insane if you couldn't charge your laptop and use it at the same time. Right. Right. And there's nothing complicated about how that works. It's just a question of how did they set it up, and it's just at what level of architecture did they change it so that you couldn't charge and ride at the same time? And that's all there is. So, so it's either it's either a it's either a bodge like a like a jump you've got to make, or it's a firmware issue. I think it's a firmware issue. You can always do it. Well, yeah. Oh yeah, it's gotta go. Th- it's gotta go for the motor controller. Uh, there's definitely somewhere we can. There's there's Honda did not put a shit ton of effort into this. There's somebody who I'm can telling dump you, the you firmware. Give me a on case of Schlitz, a cardboard cutout of Britney Spears, and the firmware code, and I'll get this done. Well, this or is... will get this done. <laughs> we got to get Ben Heck on the case here. This is a job for Ben. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta, we gotta dump. We gotta get that shit. We gotta get the BMS to. Dump we need the man wire. that could get the Nintendo CD-ROM system working. <laughs> on this. Um, okay, was that the last email? That the was way? the last email. Okay, but yeah, well, we need to get somebody on the case here because this is something that's got to happen. I mean, it doesn't because the Honda Compacto is perfect for its use case. But we're talking about a brave soul and a hopefully soon uh, member of the Darwin Scooter Club. And um, so, yeah, Eric, also, you know, like, what are you working on your two pages for the Darwin Scooter Club Tome of Knowledge? That's really the first thing. Well, no, the first thing is to own something we would call a scooter. The second thing is what what can you contribute to the tome of knowledge? And keep in mind, there are no requirements for what you're contributing to the tome of knowledge. I won't I'll accept pretty much anything. I would like you to to care and try to put in something somewhat meaningful. Even if it's very, very... In fact, I prefer it to be very, very, very silly. But, yeah, get get me get me some pages for the Tome of Knowledge, and let's, let's, let's get the ball rolling on this, Eric. 
be an inspiration to other listeners. Be the first, you know, non-local listener to join the Darwin Scooter Club. Um, let's see. So the other thing I will say is that if we do, if at some point we find out that somebody has hacked the uh, the Moto Compacto to charge. Now, if you're going from like a well, lawnmower Swigs, battery, the you're going mo- from DC to AC back to DC. The better solution would be if you can hack and create a mod for it, is just to be able to cut out the AC charger altogether and just put a Ryobi battery um, adapter straight on and go straight DC charging. Swigs, I've got something for you. We we could, th- this is actually an opportunity to really make our mark. If we can get a moto compacto, if we can send Eric a a a, a fake firmware update for his moto compacto, right? There's something else we have to do. Okay, we have to make it doom. Well, it doesn't have a. It doesn't have a screen, does it? I think it does. Hmm. I think it has a very, very basic screen. Well, let's Google it. Does it have a screen? I think it does. If not, it definitely gives an output with the app to a phone. Well, yeah, but if you do it over the phone, it's not it's not the same. If you're using controls and inputs from the bike, it it's the same. Okay, well, that's a little bit different, yeah. Um, hmm. Uh, let's see. This the the Moto Compacto screen. I think it's a little LCD, which is Are that presents a at... significant challenge to make it doom. But you know, we said this was going to be a short episode. Right? I know, <laughs> but I. So we're really, we've really lost a lot of listeners now, but there are six people right now that are really interested in what you're going to Google for our prospects of making a Moto Compacto Doom. I don't... While you're looking it up, I'm going to give a little context here. Okay, so it does have a phone app. Right. So the question is... You just keep looking up info. For people that don't know, in... Uh, the developer community, there is this specific challenge that every time a product is released on the market that has a supposedly limited amount of functionality, there are there is a group of developers who take it as a personal challenge to make that thing run the game Doom. This really started with like TI eighty six calculators, but at this so those point, people have made. It, but no, but yeah, there's they're... a version that looks like Doom that people make run on TI eighty sixes and Wolfenstein. All it well, but, it's yeah. much more like Wolfenstein than it is like Doom. But, but nonetheless, there, there are yeah, there are there are microwaves and <laughs> yeah. and printers, printers. <laughs> that run actual doom on them like legitimately a full copy of doom with the mappings to some inputs that actually allowed you to play the whole game Uh uh-huh yeah and it's glorious i think if not the moto compacto do we need to get the listeners on the case to come up with 
a bike with a TFT that we can make Doom? Do we need to be the first people to get a motorcycle to Doom? I would like to do that. I, I think it's well within yeah. our grasp. Yeah, why not? Yeah. I mean, we don't own a motorcycle that's capable of of, of this, but if there's a listener out there that doesn't mind <laughs> their new KTM 1290 adventure also having Doom on it, <laughs> could be a little distracting as you're riding down the road. Because as a point of principle, I'm going to make it, you know, if, if I'm going to make something Doom, it's going to happen. It's going to be possible whilst you're riding. Well, yeah. Exactly. I, yeah. I'll, I'll trust you as an operator to be responsible with that. Yeah. All right. So that's all of our emails. That's all of our <laughs> emails. I think, yeah, we were going to go into my, my what I'm going to do for, to enable my next list of bikes, but let's leave that for another time. Um, I don't think anyone's going to hear from us. Like, you might hear from us again. We might do another movie commentary next week, or we might do a movie commentary for New Year's, or there's a chance you may not hear from us again until a few days after New Year's with a movie commentary, something like that. But, you know, we like to every holiday season make good and give you a little bit of content to listen to whilst other shows go dark. And this is an example of that, right? And I think we're going to drop this one a little bit early, too. So there's, like, last week's episode and this, and there'll be some time. There'll be something to get you through this holiday season from us, which, again, most people just don't bother to do. They just go dark for the second half of December and early January. So you're welcome. We, But, you know, also we enjoy taking care of you this way. I think we should do Ghost Rider. Oh, Ghost Rider is one, and Ghost Rider Two are one hundred percent on the list. We just got to get through this whole Peter Fonda, Jack Nicholson, Easy Rider Odyssey first, because I have watched some more movies on this list, and it stays just as insane. Uh, I I feel like for Christmas we can go a little bit more chill and do Ghost Rider. Because Ghost Rider is practically a Disney movie, like <laughs> compared to what we've done the last couple times. Ghost Rider, Hell's is Angels sixty nine is our next one, and it is delightful. <laughs> it is delightful. Hell's Angel sixty nine's big claim to fame is it has a biker party scene which was supposed to be like the most shocking thing ever put to film at the time. But just the title, Hell's Angels 69. It sounds like a porn. That's like a fucking power board username. Oh my God. <laughs> Does everyone remember power board? I, I'm not, it's not ringing a bell for me. What's power board? That was like the late 90s, early 2000s bulletin board system that everyone had on their website. It's what like the, 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 um, 
It's like the my favorite the my CB, favorite the message board system ever. Toss. So the CB nine hundred like slash one thousand uh, user forums is PowerBoard. Oh, okay. I'll 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 look a little bit more into that. You know, I meant to mention this. PHP and it's garbage. I meant to mention this at the beginning of the episode, Swigs, and I sadly forgot. Here in the Tiki Room, we don't have as much room for, like, the soundboard and all the other equipment that we do in Podcast Network Studios uh, Suite B. So this whole episode is being, like, it's all being run and recorded in Emacs. Look. I know that you've recently become enamored. I'm with, not enamored with it. With I, I just love how much you hate it. With the fucking Pepsi Max of text editors. Like it's not a text editor. <laughs> it's a whole customizable environment. It's a part-time job. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I I just love how much you hate it. <laughs> Doing a podcast, Emacs is a package for that. <laughs> In the same way that reverse Polish I guarantee you there actually were... is some sort of Emacs RSS package. Oh, 100% there is. I don't doubt it for a second. There's now two and a half people that know what we're talking about. Do we have anything else? No, we're uh, it's we're time to end this episode. Hold on, I gotta hold on. Okay, all right. So let's bring this one to an end. There's a couple things we got to do as we end this. So we're going to remind everyone that this has been episode 230, I think, of the Nokomoto podcast. And um, we've been coming to you from the Tiki Room, which is also known as Moto One Podcast Network Studios Recording Suite A. Okay? And... We want you to have a very happy Hawaiian Christmas. Swigs. I don't want to die. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Cole. Keep fucking the dragon. <laughs> <laughs>